Hello, everyone. Welcome to Deeper Waters Podcast. I am Nick Peters, your host, seeking to bring you the very best in Christian scholarship and apologetics. And today is no exception. February, the month of Valentine's Day, I try to devote to love and marriage. And I'm doing that again. Today, we're going to talk about with uh, a pastoral counselor, Tay Shin. He's an ordained minister with over 39 years of pastoral counseling experience. He's the director of a Titus II ministry which provides resources and services for Christian marriages as well as many online communities to support for Christian life and marriages. His marriage counseling ministry is found on www.pastortay.com. So, Pastor Tay, welcome to the Deeper Waters podcast. Oh, I'm glad to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Now, if my audience doesn't know much about you, can you tell us a little bit about how you got to be doing what you're doing? Well, I think it's a long story, just like uh, everybody, I think, has a unique and long story. But uh, to make it short, I uh, grew up in a pastor's family and uh, <laughs> passed forward, you know, growing up in the church, dedicated my life to Christ uh, uh, in high school and um, really wanted to get into ministry. And, you know, a, a lot of uh, local pastoral work. Uh, I've taught as well, but, you know, counseling was something that uh, was always there, you know, as you're involved in ministry, uh, a lot of broken relationships and a lot of conflict. And um, so, you know, it just it just came with the ministry. And uh, wow, time flies. Been doing this for almost 40 years now. So I uh, did a lot of that on the East Coast, uh, grew up in Pennsylvania. And uh, now I'm out here in California. And uh, recently I've um, uh, switched over to online counseling. And that really changed a lot for me because now through video counseling, I'm able to uh, counsel people all over the world. And so it's been very exciting. Mm-hmm. Now, are you married yourself too? Yes, I am. 34 years. Wow. So what got you interested so much in marriage and counseling? Um, well, it's it's such a big part of, um, you know, the Christian life and mm-hmm. relationships and people get married. And, you know, I don't want to, you know, come across like I figured it all out. A, a lot of it was people contacting me and saying, uh, we need help. And so mm-hmm. even though I you know, provide all kinds of counseling uh, from personal challenges such as anger and depression and life direction, although that's more coaching. Uh, but marriage is something that was constantly, you know, uh, knocking at my door, so to speak. Uh, people contacting me and saying, well, we need help. And so it really just grew to be a very big part uh, of the counseling ministry. Why do you think that is, Because You know, sometimes... When people talk about marriage, it seems simple. You get married, you love one another, and you just do loving things for one another. Why is it so difficult? Well, as a Christian, uh, we have to say that we are sinners. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you put two sinners under one roof, you know, there's going to be fireworks. Mm-hmm. Uh, things are going to be very difficult. And, you know, how the Bible describes sin in so many ways. And one of them is that sin grows. And, uh, you know, it fuels selfishness. And it reminds me of James chapter 4, uh, verse 1, where he says, uh, why do you fight? Isn't it because of the desires of your heart? 
And so there's this kind of a conflict in our hearts and it spills over uh, into our relationships. And so I really wish it was like, you know, Disney where you live happily ever after and everything would be fine. But that is just not the case as our selfishness, uh, you know, comes out and it's really a sin that is in our hearts and unfortunately it begins to break our marriage. Mm-hmm. What do you think is the leading cause normally that leads to marriages breaking apart? Well, that's, um, I suppose it's valid to talk about a leading cause or major causes. And I do in my counseling try to prioritize as to some of the root causes and so forth. So that's a that's a good question. I'm going to say it's, it's going to involve selfishness. I think that's the number one thing. You know, we tend to, you know, seek our own interest first, but it's really not as simple as that, especially as couples, you know, stay married for many, many years, you know, Mm -hmm. 10, 20 years, it gets very complicated. It involves a lot of things like midlife crisis, depression, Mm -hmm. anger issues. And uh, then it becomes very difficult to unpack all of that and try to prioritize and get to the root of all of those things. And then after many years, there's so many things that are contributing Mm -hmm. to the breakdown of the marriage and really takes quite a bit of work to diagnose it, lay it out, and then say, hey, these are the leading causes and so forth. But I'm going to say selfishness. Mm -hmm. I'm going to say anger. I'm going to say, you know, forgetting the marital vows when you, you know, uh, you know, at their wedding day said, will you love, honor, and cherish till death do you part? I'm going to say one of the leading causes is also just uh, forgetting that and failing to put in an effort. And you look at a lot of marriages after after a while, uh, they just stop trying. And so mm-hmm. I'm going to say even stopping, you know, and, and not putting in the effort is a major cause for why things break down. I mean, you now turn your heart to other things. You're no longer invested. You're not trying anymore. So I think it's different with each couple as to what the root cause is or leading cause might be. But those are some of them, like selfishness and Mm -hmm. not trying and, you know, thinking about yourself and not the other person, things like that. What is it that makes it different from, say, a friendship? Because friendships usually just kind of drift apart, you know, at times or... They don't seem to require the same investment as a marriage, but a marriage seems strikingly different. Why is that? Well, it's it's a different level of intensity. It's a different level of commitment. It's a different kind of commitment. I mean, you're not, uh, you know, connected to your your friends in the way that you're connected to your spouse. You know, I mean, definitely there's overlap in terms of love and commitment and you know, treating each other kindly, ex- extending grace. I mean, when you look at the major themes of the Christian life in terms of relationships, there's definitely overlap. So, you know, I appreciate the question uh, because uh, there are def- there's definitely similarities. It's like two circles that overlap if you want to visualize that. But there's definitely an- another whole level or another whole distinct area where uh, the marriage is very different. You're you're covenantally connected together. You answer to God in a different way. You you love your wife as Christ loved the church. I mean, 
there are just so many things that just make it a completely different dynamic. And also from an experiential point of view, uh, the intensity is so high as you live with someone that uh, you end up actually, you know, uh, having a greater level of conflict than you might have with your friends. And mm -hmm. so even from an experiential point of view, it really is very different. It really is. I definitely have to agree with you when I lived with a roommate mm -hmm. before I got married and when I was a student in seminary. And it is strikingly different how different relationship is. I mean, with with marriage, I mean, heck, you sleep in the same bed together, or you share paychecks together, or you have sex together. Those are all very different from friendship. Yeah, that's actually a very good analogy. Um, living with a, a roommate, there's definitely overlap in terms of Christian conduct and extending grace and all of those mm -hmm. things. But yeah, as you said, huge difference once you mm -hmm. marry someone, live with that person, and totally give your heart to that person. Mm -hmm. Now let's go back in time a little bit here with things. Let's suppose you had someone coming to you, a young man and a young woman, and they're wanting to get married. What are you what are you looking for when you start doing your premarital counseling? Well that's uh there's there's quite a bit. Um it when you say premarital counseling Mm -hmm. um, that in itself is kind of uh, uh, complicated. I actually prefer pre-engagement counseling because, you know, when, once yeah. they come to a premarital counseling, it's almost like um, they're in such a rush, you know, trying to get ready for the wedding. Um, they're not always doing the homework. Um, they're not always showing up to every session. They're canceling because you know, they'll go uh, try out the wedding cake and, you know, fit the dress, and you know, I've always found over the many years that premarital counseling has, uh, you know, has its problems in and of itself. But having said that, to uh, answer your questions, I'm going to say that there are some major areas of marriage that uh, they need to know. And so, um, and by the way, this. I would say these major areas you need to know even after you get married, but uh, mm -hmm. they would involve things such as uh, spouse roles, uh, husband and wife roles. That's one category. You know, I'm going to mention five. There's uh, communication, and uh, in premarital counseling, I would go over communication. Again, a lot of this is contingent upon how much time they're willing to commit to it uh, as well, but communication is a huge category. That's number two where um, you go over, and by the way, each one of these categories have many, many subcategories as well, you know, but experts will say communication is the key to building the relationship, so that's number two. The third major area, uh, and if your audience are taking notes, uh, the third area is conflict resolution, and boy, is that a big area with many, many subcategories of how sin works, uh, how you fight, uh, forgiveness, reconciliation strategies, so that's a major area in terms of how to fix a broken relationship. So that's number three. Number four is, uh, again, huge area. Uh, unfortunately, the church doesn't talk about it too much, and that's in-law relationships. Mm -hmm. And so uh, that is a just a major area. And, you know, over the years, the church has not talked about it. And so they don't even know what to say. And 
I just want to say in general, um, and and um, it'll be fun if you want to talk about it, is that in-law, you know, drama and difficulties really become marital issues. As, you know, according to Genesis 2, you're supposed to leave your father and mother, but sometimes that leaving never really happens. And mm-hmm. so there's all kinds of uh, problems there. And so I'm going to say that that's another major issue. And so that's uh, number four. And then number five, last but definitely not least, is sex. And again, that's another area that the church has just not really taught. And so where do people get their information? What is their understanding of it? It's really from what? Their friends or, you know, Hollywood or whatever, you know, wherever they picked it up, but certainly not from scripture. And so I found from many years that I had to spend quite a bit of time uh, teaching in terms of God's design for sex. Um, you know, a lot of uh, couples, you know, during the premarital sessions, they're just so excited to have sex. And they're not even aware that even after several years, uh, the sex breaks down and, you know, the vitality disappears and so many things uh, go wrong. And uh, then, you know, many experts say that that's actually a gauge as to the overall health of the relationship. And so, very, very complicated. So I'm going to say those are the five major areas that if a couple is willing to sit down and make time during premarital or better yet, uh, pre-engagement counseling, I'm going to go over those five. Again, again just quick review. Number one is uh, uh, spouse roles. Number two, communication. Three, conflict. Four, in-laws. And five, sex. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's talk about communication some then. Okay, great. Because, yeah, we'll get back to spouse roles, but communication. Um, I think one of the big problems we have with communication is that one spouse says one thing, the other spouse hears something different. Yes. Like, like for instance, if... If my own wife says to me, honey, why didn't you take out the trash today? She's asking a question. Mm-hmm. My message I'm usually thinking that I'm getting at the time is, gosh, you're such an idiot. Why couldn't you figure out to take out the trash today? Mm-hmm. It's pretty common, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. You know, communication is incredibly difficult because there's like four or five things happening at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, and we can talk about any one of these, but... Most experts will say that even before they hear the words, they're already interpreting the nonverbal communication, things like tone mm-hmm. of voice. And yeah. I know women especially, and this is certainly not a criticism of women, but very sensitive to uh, tone of voice. And they'll often say things like, you know, it's not what you say, but it's how you say it. Or mm-hmm. um, all experts agree that that's the first thing that people pick up on, facial gestures, body language, Uh, Many, many things, and I actually do quite a bit of teaching in areas of nonverbal communication. Uh, Then there's gender differences. That's at play. And again, I'm just listing some of the factors as to why communication does break down. There's gender differences. And again, this this is just a very general comment because the gender differences might be reversed depending on personalities and sensitivities, but that factors in. And so I guess my point is it's not as simple as just saying something and then it just sort of sort of gets uh, miscommunicated, uh, mm-hmm. misunderstood. Um, 
Uh, I think the Bible also emphasizes quite a bit on the timing and understanding the situation and how you should speak. And uh, that's another neglected area that is not taught. And so things are set at the wrong time and not sensitive to what is going on and it's totally taken in the wrong way and then spouses you know react by saying hey you know i appreciate what you're saying but this is not the time and uh so there's that going on there's also listening and boy are we all just so bad at it and a lot of times we're not even listening at all we're just waiting for the other person to stop talking and so when all of these things from nonverbal to gender differences to timing to listening uh, problems and then there's character issues where, you know, you might be, you know, not humble enough to really care about what the other person says. There's a lot of character issues related to uh, communication. When you factor and mix all of those things together, it's almost a miracle that we even understand anything, you know, and so... Communication really is quite a bit of work, and it really is not as simple as saying something and assuming the other person is going to pick up exactly uh, what you intend. In fact, half the time you're apologizing by saying, hey, I didn't mean it that way. And so mm-hmm. all of these things are really going on. Um, one of the things I do in counseling is it, when we get to the topic of communication, I make sure they understand there's probably about 10 subcategories and each one in itself could be a um, a session unto itself and couples usually get blown away by just how much is really going on and but then at the same time they're like yeah this is really what's going on I'm not even hearing what you know he's saying because I'm so offended by his tone of voice and his attitude mm-hmm. and and so all of these things um, there's even that phrase actions speak louder than words and so your actions impact communication as well and so it's really a very difficult topic here communication and i tried to tell couples hey let's slow down let's try to go through it but again i'm going to say again that premarital counseling is just doesn't give us the necessary time and so i'll often encourage them to say hey guys let's do what we can in the premarital counseling and then once you get married come on back and let's try to finish this and uh, and work through all of these things. And so there really is a lot going on. And it can be difficult because usually when you're dating, you watch every word you say and put your best foot forward constantly. Yes. yes. But once you're married, sadly, there's a tendency to coast. Yes, that's a very good point. And so, uh, yeah, as you put it, uh, best foot forward. And so that's going on. And sometimes that sugarcoats the situation and sometimes couples don't always see uh, everything uh, in the other person and Mm. so yeah that's a very complicated but I completely agree with you best foot forward and that's Mm. related to something I said a minute ago that what happens is that people relax after they get married Mm. Uh, a lot of men have the mindset of a hunter and so they're going out and they're hunting and once they catch their prey, so to speak, you know, they relax. Uh, the hunt is over. And, and I think that goes both ways, too, for the wife as well. And so uh, they're no longer putting their best foot forward. And so there's a lot of those things. And as I said a minute ago, uh, people stop trying. So mm-hmm. that's the other side of not putting your best foot forward. So 
Definitely. Mm-hmm. A very good point there, Nick. I think I've heard it said that men marry a woman hoping she'll never change, and she does. Women marry a man hoping he will change, and he doesn't. <laughs> That's a very clever way of saying. Uh, I like that. And the truth is we all actually do change because, uh, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes we look at the dating period as representing everything about that person and what have you. But, you know, life happens. And I don't mean that in a critical way. I mean that in a very realistic way as, you know, how can you compare, you know, the 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 times when you were dating, when you didn't have kids? Um, and I speak generally, by the way, I'm just... You know, but, you know, you didn't have kids. Maybe you maybe you didn't have you weren't in your career, but life happens. Um, You go through life chapters. And so Mm -hmm. think about all the life chapters of young couple to young family uh, to midlife uh, to uh, empty nesting retirement. And with each chapter and, and, you know, just generally, what is that? Ten years. It's like every 10 years you go through massive changes uh, in your perspective, um, there might be changes in your style, and, and so many things. So um, definitely, you literally become a different person with every chapter uh, of your life. And I think people underestimate the impact of these life chapter changes. Yeah, I think it's also that uh, men, when we communicate in interpersonal relationships, we tend to be very soft-spoken and say very little. I mean, I'm a professional speaker. I'll happily stand before a crowd and speak on and on and on. But when it comes to personal one-on-one relationships, let my words be few. And women, on the other hand, women tend to love to talk and talk and talk. Yeah, I'm going to agree with you. That's generally true. Now, um... Mm -hmm. Over the years of counseling, I've seen that uh, it's reversed, and so in certain couples. But I think you're generally right there, Nick, and that men tend to uh, be a few words at home, and and I think a lot of that is well. There's several reasons for that. There's the way men are socialized, the way women are socialized to express their feelings and connect with their emotions. Men are often criticized if they connect with their emotions and cry or you know, get, you know, show vulnerability in public. And so they tend to, you know, a, uh, you know, have a stiff upper lip and, and not really show. I mean, those are factors as well. But I, I do, generally speaking, men approach communication very differently. Uh, I think you're right. I, I really love that example of public speaking or you can just you can just make that general to to just the workplace where, Guys are talking all day long and sharing their thoughts and feelings, and then they they come home and their wife says, "So how was your day?" And he just says one word, "Fine." Yeah. And so yeah, I think you're right that there really is kind of how men tend to reserve their communication for their work, but when it comes to interpersonal things or their marriage, they don't use the communication for the purpose of building a relationship. So therein lies, I think, the fundamental difference. And that is the reason why men are talkative at work is they're using communication for uh, to build or to accomplish a task. They're not using it necessarily to build a genuine relationship, which is the very reason why women communicate to build a relationship. That's why they talk so much. And again, 
mm-hmm. not a criticism, but to say they're just using communication in a different way to build a relationship as opposed to men using it to accomplish a task. And so those are some pretty big gender differences there. Yeah, I think one way I look at it is when my parents want me to call. Usually I call my dad and just to communicate something fun or talk about something political or something like that. And then when I'm done sharing, that's it. I hang up. It's over. And my own mother was kind of like, why don't you call more often? Why don't you talk more often? And I say, because I don't have anything I need to talk about. Yeah, that's so a, that's a great a, example. That's yeah, great. for me as a guy, I think we do we communicate to sh- convey information. Once the information's done, we're done. The idea of talking just to talk doesn't make sense. Yeah, and I think again, I'm going to agree with you. That's generally true. Just want to remind yeah. your audience that it can be reversed. So I don't want them to be confused to think that that's just a strict rule. But generally, you're right. And so, um, yeah, women, again, not a criticism, will often talk just to, uh, you know, enter the moment of building the relationship. And so they may not always be thinking about purpose or what are we trying to accomplish here, but they'll go to a coffee shop and just talk about a thousand things. And it's just the experience of bonding and connecting. And so when you're getting back to your example, if your mother says, well, why don't you call more often and so forth, it's not so much she's thinking about a particular task to be accomplished, but it's more about connecting and building the relationship. So again, great example of the huge differences between men and women, but these are just generalities. And it could be also generally that men... uh they they build relationship not so much by talking, but by acting. When I get together, when I get together with male friends, usually we're doing things like watching movies or playing video games or things of that sort. Very little communication going on. And what shocked me, I think, that when a husband wants to have a good relationship with his wife, was it he wants to do. Things. He wants to watch a movie with her. He wants to go to a game with her. He wants to have sex with her. He wants to do things to build a relationship. She wants to talk to build a relationship. Yeah, that's definitely true. I'm going to agree with you again. Huge difference mm-hmm. between men and women. Again, general, it can be reversed. But absolutely, mm-hmm. men are uh, people that uh, accomplish tasks or, or, or find their fulfillment that way. And, and to express their commitment or interest um you know they'll go and play ball rather than sit around and talk so very different (laughs) approach towards building a relationship Um, both are important you know accomplishing tasks uh, as well as uh, the other way which is you know you're not really accomplishing any task but you're bonding you're you're entering each other's world and both are necessary, but unfortunately, we tend to get lopsided, and that can lead to a lot of misunderstandings, miscommunications, and mm-hmm. women often crave then the uh, the deep communication. And uh, one of the things that couples struggle with, and maybe the wife sees that more than the man, is that the communication has become very shallow, and uh, she'll have a lot of complaints about it, and. Sometimes a man doesn't even understand, saying, hey, I, I do this and do this. And again, he gravitates towards his resume of 
all the things he does, sacrificing and working hard, and in other words, it's all about his actions to show his commitment and love. But women are often looking for, again, um, a deeper connection. And so that becomes a great challenge as uh, mm-hmm. they're married for a long period of time is to really, mm-hmm. the uh, communication becomes very shallow and, you know, you stop talking about deep things which are necessary for bringing a couple together. Okay, so let's talk about what a solution is. Let's start first with the men this time, like you and I. When we're having communication difficulties in general, what's your advice for men struggling with communication difficulties? Well, I I, want to say that everything in the Christian life is difficult. You know, when you think about it, I mean, what is easy in the Christian life? I mean, is praying easy, witnessing, you know, living for Christ is that it's all hard. You know, following Christ, you know, Luke chapter 9, 23, it's it's the daily uh, work of following him, picking up the cross. It's all difficult. And I often challenge couples to, to not just say it's difficult because it's almost like a built-in excuse saying well if it's difficult then I guess I'm excused if I don't do it and so I'd say hey listen it's all hard okay so let's just start right there and say it's hard Mm -hmm. but we're committed to do what is hard in order to get to another level and so I think that's going to be true in every area of life that uh, it's, it's about you know, stepping out of your comfort zone, doing what is hard in order to achieve success. And so I'm going to agree with you, Nick, that uh, these are mm-hmm. really hard things. But to have a mindset where you say, I'm going to do the hard things. Now, how? Uh, and that's the question you're asking in terms of, you know, we're only, I want to say make some general comment in, initially, but we can get specific if you want. And that is that... Uh, um, generally speaking, the man and the woman need to enter each other's world. It's an attitude of humility where you, I mean, you don't have to give up your own way of uh, thinking and your style. I mean, if uh, you give an example of hanging out with the guys and nothing mm-hmm. wrong with that. You can be a guy there. You don't have to act like a girl in that situation. But mm-hmm. having said that, you know, the Bible does speak of a more humble approach uh, reminds me of Philippians chapter 2, where you should esteem others better than yourself. You should enter each other's worlds. And that's about respecting each other's worlds, respecting each other's styles, laying aside what you think is right. And and by the way, some of these things are not matters of right and wrong. It's a matter of preference. And there's mm-hmm. freedom issues here. You can't say my way is the only only way or the right way, but you need to humble yourself and enter your wife's way of looking at it and try to appreciate and you know once you start moving in that direction you can throw in other biblical concepts of acknowledgement sympathy empathy romans chapter 12 15 uh rejoice with those who rejoice mourn with those who mourn uh, suffer with those who are hurting you enter into the other person's world so i'm going to just say generally at first and we can get specific that's what the man's got to do that's what the woman's got to do they got to lay aside their way with and the attitude that my way is the better way. And I think I'm guilty of that, looking at the other person with a critical eye and saying, okay, why can't that person think this way or, or talk this way or what have you? But you got to, you know, humble yourself mm-hmm. and consider, acknowledge and respect what the other person and, and take some time to agree. 
you know, and say, hey, I can see it that way. And, and, and that's going to go a long way. So I think it starts with that type of mind shift where you look at your wife and say, you know what, I'm going to lay aside my way and lay aside my insistence that you look at it this way. And I'm going to try to understand where you're coming from and be more like Christ. Because Philippians chapter 2, the larger context is about Jesus and how he laid aside everything, even the very things that were rightfully his, but humbled himself to the point of death. And so I think we need to have that attitude of Christ uh, towards one another, especially the man, since he's called to be like Christ and loving his wife. And uh, so so there, uh, there is that. But then once that humble attitude is installed, then from there, sure, there's quite a bit of specifics that can be applied. There's communication skills and wisdom that can be applied in, in order to get to a point where you really are entering each other's world and and not insisting that the other person uh, enter your world and understand you, which I think fuels a lot of conflict saying, hey, why can't you see it my way? But it's more reversed. Hi, this is Gary Habermas. I'm the Distinguished Research Professor of Apologetics and Philosophy at Liberty University in Lynchburg, Virginia. I teach full-time in the PhD program here. And I have been a guest on the program by Nick Peters on many occasions. And over the years, I've noticed how many excellent guests he gets. And I can tell you personally that Nick reads everything that comes his way. He's a great interviewer. He's got good insight and questions. And I highly recommend his program. I think, honestly, aside from for most of us, aside from especially guys, aside from the physical differences that we love about our wives so much, if there was a complaint that men, I think, would generally have about women, I don't think they'd phrase it this way, but it's the way they really come across too often, it's that I wish you could be more like a man. And a woman, on the other hand, looks at her husband and says, I wish you could be more like a woman. Yep. Aside from physical differences, that's, that's what they really want. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I was uh, trying to articulate that, but that's that's really a great way to put it, Nick. That mm-hmm. I think, and I'm going to say that that's that's not good. You know, we we mm-hmm. we yeah. um, I mean, we want to make it clear to your audience that that's really the opposite of what I was trying to emphasize. Mm-hmm. I was emphasizing mm-hmm. humility and entering each other's world. Yeah. But you're absolutely right, Nick. Is that there is that attitude, and again, that should remind the listeners of mm-hmm. our initial comments. When you asked about leading causes and so forth, uh, there's mm-hmm. selfishness. There's, again, James chapter 4, what causes fights among you? Isn't it the desires of your heart? And <sighs> part of that uh, selfish desire is you want the other person to respect you, think like you, you know, make decisions like you. And what's behind a lot of this also is that the married couple, after years, kind of get tired of all the disagreeing. You know, mm-hmm. and that's related to a larger topic we can get to later if you want. And, you know, they, they disagree on everything. And that can really wear on the other person. And that those basic disagreements uh, about little things in life begin to bother you so much that it fuels that attitude that you mentioned saying, well, why can't you be more like me? Why can't you think like me? And 
And then after a while, you start demanding that the other person do that. And then guys especially uh, get very, very upset if their wife uh, disagrees with them consistently because they interpret that as disrespect. And respect is kind of a big deal for men. And so Mm -hmm. all of that is just at play, very complicated. But these things need to be unpacked. And maybe counseling is a place to do it. Um, But absolutely, these are very real things that are going on. Let's talk some about spouse roles, then. Because usually, I think we talk about spouse roles, and a lot of women might be listening. Oh, that's it. This guy just thinks I should be in the kitchen barefoot and pregnant. That's what spousal roles is, right? (laughs) Definitely not what I'm saying. (laughs) So, um, uh, you know, I think, unfortunately, there's been a lot of old school mindsets that have uh, really impacted the, the Christian marriage. And certainly that is not um, the way, I mean, that's a huge can of worms, Nick, in terms mm-hmm. of kind of disrespecting uh, the high calling uh, of the woman and uh, mm-hmm. to, you know, view her in many limiting ways. But my goodness, huge can of worms here. But we have to, you know, bring out the very best in women, all that God has you know, created them to be, and uniquely with each individual, their gifts and talents and, mm-hmm. and personalities. And, you know, related to this also is, you know, that old school mindset is the, the man is the king, he's the Lord, and it's all about him and his desires and, you know, pushing down the woman, you know, kind of a caveman mentality. Mm-hmm. And he's got the big club in his hand and drags the woman by the hair. And, you know, all of that's got to go, you know, and the man's got to be the humble servant like Jesus love and sacrifice Mm -hmm. it's a servant leadership bringing out the best in her and she Mm -hmm. also bringing out the best in him you know it's Mm -hmm. there's a lot of work that needs to be done on the whole concept of the helper i think that's been grossly misunderstood in genesis 2 18 when god said Mm -hmm. i will create a helper suitable for him and you know a lot of cavemen out there look at that as well she's my helper my secretary my assistant the barefoot pregnant woman you know cook my meal Make sure it's you know hot and ready and delicious when I get home, mm-hmm. and uh, that is not the intent of that verse at all. And so I'm going to reject mm-hmm. that whole mindset and that attitude of keeping her in the kitchen barefoot and pregnant, and say we got to we got to just bring out the very best in women and uh, just praise them for uh, how God has made them to be the Proverbs 31 woman. You know, and how she is really praised by her husband and chosen children for uh, who she is. And, you know, I can understand the reaction of women feeling disrespected and limited and feeling like they're repressed and, and all of that. And I do think the men have a lot of responsibility to carry in order to correct that and, and to uh, come back to a more biblical uh, position uh, of working together to build a marriage and to build a family. Yeah, I often say that guys who think that they need to be the king of their castle, is it okay? Mm-hmm. If you think you're the king of your castle, that's fine. Your your wife gets treated like she's the queen, then. Okay. <laughs> that's a good analogy. Absolutely. King mm-hmm. and queen, working together, you have your realm of authority. I like the analogy. Mm-hmm. Working together as a unit mm-hmm. on the same team. Yes. Very good. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
But if spousal roles aren't that, then what are they? Well, that's a very big topic. Um, there's a lot of teamwork at play. It's about uh, bringing out the best in each other. Um, you know, I think specifically, you know, it's, you know, there's no like demand. Again, getting back to the barefoot, being pregnant in the kitchen, you know, I've, I think I've cooked in my family for 34 years. I've cooked probably 80% of the time. You know, uh, I was afforded a lot of flexibility as a pastor. And so that played a major role. So I became actually a very good cook. And so she, on the other hand, didn't have that schedule flexibility, uh, being a school teacher. And so she would often come home late. And so it was my job to have the food ready and so forth. So it was, it was more of an attitude of uh, teamwork and uh, responsibility, uh, working together to raise the children and so forth. So there's a lot of, uh, I think, freedom when it comes to coming up with a strategy in terms of uh, building that marriage and, and, and the home uh, and so forth. And, uh, you know, when, when it comes to roles, as, as you asked, you know, getting back to Genesis 2.18, the helper is to bring out the very best in the man. So that's got to be taken into account in terms of spiritual uh, aspects as well as she comes alongside the man and actually makes him better than he could have been by then by being single and uh, mm-hmm. uh, I'm going to say for the man as well to, to bring out the best uh, in her so I don't want to uh, turn this portion of our conversation into some sort of laundry list of okay these are things that wouldn't have to do you know she's got to cook the dinner and and uh, the man's got to take out the trash you know he's got to mow the lawn and then she uh, what does the laundry (laughs) you know Mm. i mean we can't turn this discussion into a list of house chores it's Mm -hmm. far beyond that and by the way i've done most of the laundry too simply because i enjoy it um, I'm part of that uh, very <laughs> unknown group. There's actually quite a few that actually love laundry, and so uh, I actually do that. And um, yeah. so, you know, it's, it's it's a little complicated. You know, it's not as simple as, all right, again, and I, I guess what I'm trying to say, Nick, is uh, I'm going to reject the whole, you know, conversation about, hey, these are the list of house chores the women's got to do, and that's where <laughs> she belongs, and it's not as simple as that. I think the only exception to that is I think in every single household of wars, the man has to take out the trash every time. <laughs> yeah, I've taken out the trash. I think women are mm-hmm. very sensitive to smells. Mm-hmm. I think they have a higher mm-hmm. sense of smell and uh, so mm-hmm. forth and visuals. And so that's something mm-hmm. that is not very exciting for them to do. And that's fine. You know, not a big deal. Yeah. I- uh, I've also told several guys when you get married, one of the other titles you gain is. Official bug killer at the house. <laughs> Official. Well, you know, those are those are funny examples, silly examples, uh, but also mm. part of a larger, I think, um, I guess, theme, if you will, that men are kind of. I mean, why did God make men stronger? Okay, and again, just generally speaking, you know, yeah. God has given the man a role to be the protector of the home. 
You know, he's also the one that's, mm-hmm. you hear a strange noise in the middle of the night. You're not going to tap your wife and say, hey, honey, go, uh, can you go check? You know, there might be a burglar yeah. at the front door, you know. Uh, it's, yeah. I mean, it's the man's call to, to protect the family. Mm-hmm. So I guess that spills over into certain roles that are more physical, you know, or protect the mm-hmm. family if a stranger breaks through the window. All the way to even silly things we're talking about now, taking out the trash to... You know, mow the lawn. I mean, my wife never mowed the lawn, and I'm fine with that. You know, it's hard for her to push a big, you know, lawnmower across across the front yard. Mm-hmm. You know, so again, mm-hmm. uh, I'm fine with all of those things. There are physical differences, and um, if in your house uh, you're the one taking the trash, no big deal. Yeah, I like what you said about the whole protection, because mm-hmm. I, I think for. A- People who follow me on Facebook and what I do, they they know there's an unwritten rule on my Facebook page. The mindset, you know, if you communicate with with Ali, you can disagree with her, you can tell her she's wrong, you can argue with her, debate with her all you want to. That's fine, but the moment you dare say something that's an insult to her. I show up, and I show up in full force, and there is no pacifying my wrath at that point. Is You've insulted my wife. You better be prepared to pay the price. Uh, yeah, I appreciate that because you've now stretched the definition beyond just physical protection uh, mm-hmm. to other things that can be emotionally and mm-hmm. spiritually damaging to your wife, and there you are protecting her. And that's rooted in a, in a very important biblical concept that a lot of men don't think about, and that is God mm-hmm. has called a man to be spiritually invested in his wife. And uh, so if you are up in arms about any kind of spiritual or emotional threat, her mm-hmm. hurt feelings and things like that. That's a very biblical response, you know, in terms of protecting her. And, and why would you do that? Is because you're invested uh, in her. And so therein lies uh, something that a lot of men don't think about. And that is, and the reason why they don't think about it is they often think of the spiritual life as entirely an independent and personal endeavor. In other words, I'm going to take care of my spiritual life, and uh, she takes care of her spiritual life. But that's not what it means to be a spiritual leader. You look at Ephesians chapter 5, and it's very clear that the man is actually invested in her spiritual growth. And so if you feel any kind of threat or any, you know, anything that might hurt her in some way, absolutely, that is the proper response. Uh, it is protection, but it's also investment as you are concerned about her growth and uh, state. Mm-hmm. Mm. Now, the third thing you had on your desk was conflict resolution, I think. Am I yes. right? Okay. So, I think it's very interesting you said conflict resolution because it seems to imply conflict is going to happen automatically. Uh, absolutely. Uh, I did say you put two centers underneath one roof, there's going to be fireworks. Mm-hmm. And that is a basic assumption that we have to have. You know, this isn't Disney. You don't live happily ever mm-hmm. after. And so the presence of sin is still inside us. And so, (coughs) excuse me, as sin is still inside us, that's a very dangerous thing. Because sin uh, 
in many ways that it's articulated in scripture is that it can grow. And so absolutely it's going to happen. Um, you know, sometimes you see more of a lazy attitude in a lot of people <clears throat> that say like, uh, you know, they'll see an issue and they'll say, well, let's just see what happens. Well, that's a bad decision because it's going to grow and it's going to get worse. And if you really just look at it, that's what happens. Marriages get worse. Relationships break down. There's going to be conflict. And so that's why I call it conflict resolution. And I am, yes, assuming that conflict is going to be there. And uh, we're going to have to work hard to keep the relationship fresh and healthy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I I think it is distressing though to hear you say that you know that things will get hard because it, it it gives us a it can make people approach marriage with a kind of hopeless attitude if they think that way. Um, you know, a lot of things, and I appreciate the question. Um, mm-hmm. that is definitely one possibility. But we want to say that um, so much of the Christian life fundamentally is about our mindset. The Bible talks mm-hmm. about our the renewing of our minds, Romans 12. There's 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, you know, every thought captive mm-hmm. to Christ. You know, Ephesians chapter 4 talks mm-hmm. about the renewing of our minds. And so I think part of the renewing of our minds is to recognize that there will be conflict. There will be difficulties. And quite frankly, mm-hmm. part of the original curse that God laid down in Genesis chapter 3 is going to be there. Mm-hmm. And yes, it is true, Nick, that there will be some that will maybe lose heart, get discouraged, and feel like, you know, what is it even worth it, and all of that. But again, I reference the renewing of the mind to say that even though that that's the case, you have to have mm-hmm. a mindset where you are still clinging on to the hope that you find in Christ, you know, to know that despite the difficulties, mm-hmm. despite the sins, um, you're going to move forward. I think that mindset has to be applied to every area of life, even everything. You know, how hard is mm-hmm. it to raise kids in such a difficult world? You know, you could have a mindset saying, well, you know what, then, you know, forget this, or it's just too hard, and, and have a negative mindset, or renew your mind, as Scripture, mm-hmm. uh, you know, challenges us. And I think... To be quite honest, we need to do more work in areas of renewing our mind and thinking and having the mind of Christ and and having a mind and heart that is filled with hope and knowing that God will uh, provide a way out, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. You know, no temptation that sees you except what is common to man. And so the common experience is difficulties and conflicts and challenges and, you know, the, the marriage is... You know, God predicted it's going to break down. He ordained that as part of the curse. And with all of those things that have happened, absolutely, you have the option to be very discouraged. Or you can look to Christ, and you can also look to God's Word. Because based on Romans chapter 15, verse 4, it clearly says that all of Scripture was given to us so that we might have hope. And so having the hope to know that God can work in our lives, restore and reconcile uh relationships that's why i do call it conflict resolution conflict is inevitable a resolution is possible uh, as we cling to the hope in christ mm-hmm. you know as a historian who studies the new testament 
the analogy I give with this is, historically, I don't think Jesus was married. But I've seen no evidence of that whatsoever. But, I always remember, but hypothetically, if he was, not even Jesus would have a perfect marriage because he'd be married to a sinful woman. So if Jesus couldn't have a perfect marriage, I don't hold out hope for me. <laughs> okay, I appreciate that. Okay, that's very stimulating, Nick. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Yeah, but it's it, it, just what you said, that we have sinners that come together in these relationships, and they struggle as a result. So now, conflict is here. It's happened. How do we resolve the conflict? Again, there's... It, it opens up another huge can of worms because, you know, you open up the can, how many worms are in there? Mm -hmm. So there are so many subtopics related to conflict. Um, so, again, what if it if the relationship, for example, Nick, um, mm -hmm. they've been married for like 10, 20 years, uh, there's probably like 10 things going on. Mm -hmm. um, um, I'm I'm about to start a uh, counseling journey with a couple uh, in Virginia. I'm out here in California. We're doing video counseling, and they've been married over ten years. And boy, the list is long. Mm -hmm. So, to answer your question, I mean about conflict, it is about kind of breaking it down, letting them speak as to all the things that are going wrong and then prioritizing that list and then helping them to understand that let's say there's 10 things going on, okay? And uh, probably about two or three of them are the leading causes that lead to the other seven. So you don't wanna treat all of them as equal. You wanna say that there's top three things going on here that are really breaking down the relationship and that top three can be different in each couple. So it's hard to answer your question to say, you know, how do we do this? I'm kind of giving you a strategy where, yeah. let's say there's 10 things. You want to uh, outline the 10 things and clearly say to them, these are the 10 things that are going on, but they're not all equal. Some of these are byproducts of other things that are going on. Then you identify the top three things. Then you now have a direction. You've got an itinerary, and then you focus on those things, and then based on that, you lay out, strategies, you diagnose it, you give them step by uh, step. I mean, with each couple, I mean, the, the differences are just so great. And that's why you really have to go into each session, not with, you know, pre-made, you know, factory manufactured answers or pat answers as to saying, hey, just apply the scripture, you know, and then everything will be fine. But it really is trying to diagnose exactly what is going on, and, um, you know, so many things could be happening and factoring in the unique personalities and so forth. And then saying, okay, these are the top three things we've got to work on. And here's the strategy. Or, I mean, one couple might have issues of forgiveness. Another couple might uh, have all kinds of sensitivities. Another couple might be more in invested in their parents and you've got in-law problems. Mm. I mean, my goodness. You know, this could go in a, a million directions. And so you really have to pray for wisdom. You really got to enter each situation. 
and and really, I mean, you are like a secret agent out on the field. You got to improvise fast on your feet, figure it out, mm-hmm. lay out the plan, and then systematically attack that plan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've uh, heard that uh, the big things that uh, that uh, couples fight about in marriage it usually it boils down to three things: money, in-laws, sex. Uh, yeah, I'm going to agree with you that those are the uh, popular, mm-hmm. hot topics for sure. Mm-hmm. You know, we could spend hours upon hours, Nick, uh, mm-hmm. talking about each one. And uh, even with them, we have to be very careful and not to, like, have a knee-jerk reaction and just throw Bible verses at them yep. about money or in-laws and say, hey, mm-hmm. you shouldn't be like that. Behave yourself. You know, it's not as simple as that, but you got to kind of follow mm-hmm. the trail mm-hmm. and go back to why is it that uh, there are such in-law problems? Because, mm-hmm. see, they have to understand. You can't just come across like a counselor with a big bat in your hands and you just want to swing that club, you know, knock them sen- senseless with scripture. Mm-hmm. But you really got Although I'm to- sure it's tempting. Uh, it is very tempting, and to be honest, and that's another can of worms, and that is there are actually a lot of counselors out there that do that, and it leads to great offense, uh, great misunderstanding, and, and you should never do that. You really need to help them to understand all the the trails and why they have come mm-hmm. to that point and uh, help them to diagnosis. I'm going to say, and this is just a rough estimate, of the time has to be spent in diagnosis because they just got to understand what is going on. And then the other 50% is laying out the biblical solutions and then holding them accountable uh, to that. So those uh, popular things of money, in-laws and sex, um, it's really very complicated to dig through all of that and saying, why is there an in-law problem? What has led to this point? And uh, what are solutions? And it could take it could take many, many sessions, to be honest, uh, to unpack that. Mm-hmm. So what are some general steps, then, in conflict resolution that can apply across the board regardless of what the conflict is? Well, just generally speaking, uh, I think it's very important to start with an understanding of conflict. And I know you referenced that a few times in terms of the conflict experience in general and why that is. And so I do like to start there since you're asking about general strategy and try to explain how sin works in their life. Uh, I've got a, a whole bunch of audios, hundreds of audios where, you know, depending on where they are in their understanding, I'll, you know, prescribe certain audios that say, hey, listen to this and it'll help you understand how sin works in your life, understand conflict, understand the struggles of your heart, understand why you guys fight. And so that's a a, a big area uh, that is covered. Another Mm -hmm. area I cover is what I call stylistic conflict because, uh, you know, the truth is most people married their opposites. You know, Mm -hmm. that saying opposites attract is very true. Mm -hmm. You know, I've been doing this for so many years. I don't think I've ever met a couple where they're exactly alike in terms of style and personality. So My if, wife and I both have Asperger's, that's something okay. we have in common, some that does. 
Okay. But we're also very different from what we thought we'd get. Yes. I am super, super intellectual type, and I could be compared to Spock very okay. easily. <laughs> All right. My wife is incredibly emotional. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We are very, very different in that regards. Yes. So, yeah, I, I get what you're saying there. Yeah, so absolutely, that's, uh, I'm not surprised. Um, that's what I see. And uh, I've, never, I've never had a couple that pushed back and said, oh, Pastor Tay, you're wrong. We're exactly alike. You know, no couple has ever pushed back. They all agree that they married their opposites. And, you know, that in itself is a huge category as maybe, uh, and, and how do they respond to that? Do they respond with, you know, appreciation and uh, acceptance that God has brought two opposite people together to work together as a team and complement one another, which, by the way, is how they did view it when they were dating and how they were attracted and actually refreshed by the differences. But then after a while, they um, forget that. and uh, They now hate the very things that uh, they used to like when they were dating. And so mm-hmm. I call that love first hate later. Mm-hmm. And so you used to like it, now you hate it. So that's a major area to to discuss as well since you're asking about general things that have to be covered. Mm-hmm. The first thing again is uh, understanding sin and conflict and struggle. The second thing is understanding the differences. You marry somebody who's the opposite of one another. Mm-hmm. Another major area that I cover is what I call freedom issues. Because a lot of things that, and we're talking about conflict, and that's what you're asking about, Mm-hmm. is that, uh, you know, there are a lot of things that couples fight about that technically are not black and white issues. I mean, they're not fighting about murder or lying or stealing. I mean, those things are black and white issues. Mm-hmm. But they're fighting about things that really, you know, there's a lot of freedom. You know, I want to use the word preference. You're, you have the right to have preferences about certain things. We spend a lot of time disagreeing and fighting about things that really are freedom issues. And so I try to teach them about that, that really most of your fighting is not about black and white issue, but it's about gray issues, things in the middle. And if they're gray issues, there's another whole set of strategies that are involved where you extend grace to one another, where you put love as the ultimate goal and not insist that your way is the right way. And so we cover that. Um, There's also a lot of things, and you're asked about general strategies, uh, a lot of questions about um, forgiveness and trying to explain how forgiveness works, that it's not a feeling. I mean, I, I systematically go through all the, the things related to that. They have questions about uh, what to talk about and what not to talk about, you know. And so, you know, the Bible says love covers a multitude of sins. Well, well, then do you just cover it and not talk about it? And so there's a lot of questions related to what to cover what not to cover. Um, there's, uh, again, strategies of reconciliation. You, know, you, you got to go through a, a, a whole process. You know, mm-hmm. saying I'm sorry is actually really not effective because what does that even mean? You just feel bad? You know, uh, you really have to confess your sins and then talk about, you know, strategies of uh, repentance where you change your behavior so that you're not doing it again and you know, that's something that is just not done, and that's why things come back. 
and, and you're fighting over the same things over and over again. And then they start throwing accusations like I told you a thousand times not to do that. And so if things are happening a thousand times. Yeah, there's things that need to be adjusted there. So those are some of the things I would say to your question about general things. But mm. what happens is from there uh, in counseling, you have to get very specific then to what is exactly going on and then apply it so that there's no misunderstanding because a lot of times people are seeking clarity and clarity is very important. You know, um, you, you can't have couples leave counseling or leave any situation confused. It's very important that they get clarity and from clarity there uh, comes inspiration and uh, then determination to move forward, to begin to uh, to work on things. So, very big question in terms of uh, what I mean, what you're asking in terms of general strategies. I would say those are some of the general things, but there's another whole world of specific mm. application that has to be done. Dr. Mind, when you listen to Deeper Waters podcast, got Pastor Tay Shin in here today, talking about marriage. Next week, I'm still working about when honesty people are bad. I I'm going to get someone do the best I can to get someone to talk about marriage. For now, let's get back to our program. Okay, let's just ask one final thing about conflict resolution. That's a big one. What is forgiveness, and how do we give it, and how do we receive it? Yeah, forgiveness, first of all, is not related to feelings. Mm -hmm. A lot of people, uh, I think that's a classic mistake that people make, that uh, you have to feel good and, you know, that that's what prompts you then to forgive. But that's not forgiveness in the Bible. The forgiveness mm -hmm. is uh, extending grace and making a decision not to uh, re-accuse that person. You know, mm. because that's what people do. You bring up the past and you re-accuse that person, but you forgive. I mean, now you're making a commitment not to bring it back up again. Uh, forgiveness mm. also is uh, not, you know, forgetting. People think, you know, there's that popular saying, forgive and forget, you know, which I don't know where that came from, but can anybody really forget? I mean, come on now. No, mm. Nobody forgets. And so it's not that you have to forget, but it's a decision that you make not to bring it back up and entertain it in your heart where you become angry all over again and you uh, become bitter. You constantly, what, 1 Corinthians um, uh, chapter 13 talks about love keeps no record of wrongs. Mm -hmm. and so forgiveness is very much connected to that where you're no longer keeping a record. You know, it's, it's how God forgives you. It's not because he's got a bad memory and he forgot, but he's not keeping a record against you. 
Um, and so it's a commitment not to bring it up. I think it's also a commitment not to uh, talk about it with other people, you know, which I think is a temptation for certain people where they want to speak bad about uh, their spouses. You know, uh, I don't want to stereotype and say that that's just women that do that. I'm just going to yeah. say in general that we should not do that. You know, speak bad about our spouses, about their past sins, and you ruin your spouse's testimony. And how, how are you going to repair that later? And so forgiveness involves a lot of those things. It's not a feeling. It's not forgetting. It's choosing not to bring it back up to that person. Uh, it's choosing to treat that person as if that sin never happened. That's true forgiveness. I know that's tough, but I've already said everything in the Christian life is tough. There's nothing that's easy. I mean, we don't do things because it's easy. We do things because it's right. And mm -hmm. so those are just some of the definitions of forgiveness. Uh, you know, in terms of receiving, uh, as you said, I mean, that's another big category as well. It involves humility. You know, it involves, um, you know, mm -hmm. you making a decision too not to bring it back up again. You committing not to re-engage in the fight. A lot of times when couples attempt to reconcile or forgive, they enter round two of fighting again um, because the issue has been brought up. And so definitely a lot involved in the whole process of receiving that forgiveness, uh, moving forward, uh, and uh, continuing to build that relationship. Yeah. Let's move on to the next one that you had. Um it's often said when you marry a person, you don't just marry them. Like it or not, you marry their family as well. And sadly, sometimes those families and spouses, they don't all get along. Yes. <laughs> Very true. So, um, again, huge can of worms, mm -hmm. I'm going to say. Each worm represents mm -hmm. many, many things that are actually going on. So I'm just going to say uh, right off the bat that it's not as simple as just saying, you know, um, you guys are married and just go off and mm -hmm. become your own separate family. You know, it's really not as simple as that. And that rarely happens. As mm -hmm. you say, you're married to the family, you're committed to the family. But this is where, again, you know, I... I'm very disappointed that the church in general has not taught the biblical principles that are related uh, to all this. And I think it's of a domino effect over the years. Nobody's talking about it. And after a while, mm. nobody even knows what to say. And then it just becomes one big joke, you know, bashing the mother-in-law mm -hmm. and uh, or whatever the situation. But you've got a lot of things going on here, like maybe the over-invested mother-in-law. And again, it's a stereotype. I don't mean to disrespect mm -hmm. the mother-in-law. I've done many conferences uh, about in-laws where there were plenty of in-laws, mother-in-laws in the audience. And I think it's very important that we pay respects to every member of the extended family. There's so many people involved in this whole process. Um, but it's very important to identify some of the major areas such as uh, mother-in-law, but it's really not as simple as that. It's really mother-in-law and daughter-in-law dynamic. 
that's a historically has been a very difficult uh, one. Mm-hmm. There's also what experts call the man in the middle. You know, the man is just trying to make everybody happy. And so he's trying to make his mother happy. He's trying to make his wife happy. And so he's caught in the middle and uh, usually he ends up losing mm-hmm. uh, because he's trying to play the referee. And, uh, you know, in sports, everybody hates the referee. Yep. And so the man's caught in the middle. He thinks that's what he's supposed to do. He tries to act like a peacemaker. And in the end, his mother's upset at him because he's not a loyal son. And his wife is upset at him because he's not loyal to her. He's a mama's boy. Yeah, that's a major area. Then there's the father-in-law who's usually out of it and all he cares about is when dinner is. Mm -hmm. And so there's that uh, aspect as well. But again, not as simple. There's the brother-in-law, sister-in-law. Then there's also the problem of uh, what it means to leave. And uh, people think that, well, leaving is just physically leave. Well, but it's really not as simple as that. There are some couples that don't leave but actually live with their parents. Well, that's another major area, mm-hmm. you know, that uh, needs to be uh, talked about. There's boundary issues. Mm-hmm. There's also emotional and spiritual issues. For example, if they leave physically, and let's say, let's say they move 100 miles away. Mm-hmm. Um, they still technically may not have left because they're so emotionally and spiritually bound to their parents that it's like, um, where are the lines? So Mm -hmm. it's not as simple as just uh, physically leaving. Uh, So the whole concept of leaving has to be addressed. Uh, The man in the middle has to be addressed. The tension between the mother-in-law and the daughter-in-law has to be addressed. And also... What is a fundamental problem is what's called a parent-child relationship. And that is, prior to marriage, that's what it was. It was a parent-child relationship. The woman was a daughter. That was her identity. Mm -hmm. The the mother was a mother. It was a parent-child relationship. And uh, what it means to get married is to leave that and then to establish a new relationship, which I call an adult relationship. But in many situations, the parent-child relationship remains intact. And that is one of the leading causes of problems. You know, it's an attitude that, uh, and again, I don't mean to disrespect the mother-in-law or the mother in general, but a lot of times uh, it starts with parents in general that. You know, you know, you see it on Facebook, you see it in a lot of places, they have this attitude saying, oh, I wish you will never grow up. You know, they'll post mm-hmm. baby pictures and saying, oh, they grow up too fast. And it's the idea of, or the mindset or desire to want to hold them back into kind of a childlike state, you know. Oh, you're growing up too fast. I can't believe you're double digits now, you know, mm-hmm. they'll say about a 10-year-old or something. And it's, it's the attitude that you're always my baby. And so... You know, you might have heard those sayings like, oh, yes. I, don't care how old, I don't care how old you are. I don't care if you're 50 years old. You're still my baby. And so that parent-child relationship mm-hmm. can lead to all kinds of problems. And again, I'm not trying to focus all the criticism on the mother-in-law. You know, I'm just saying in general, that parent-child relationship is a very serious problem and very complicated. And, and by the way, it can be reversed. 
meaning there are situations where the child is now acting like the parent because as the parents actually age and get older, they need a lot of help. They need a lot of attention, and now the child acts like the parent. And there's, they're really invested in taking care of the extended family. Yeah. So this thing is definitely a huge can of worms, and it has to be systematically unpacked. And it is not easy to do because um, there's a lot of hurt feelings, feelings of disrespect, serious complications. I mean, where are even decisions made? That's another major source of tension. Sometimes decisions are made within the extended family, and then the spouse is the last to find out what a, about a certain decision. Yeah. That's a major offense. Yeah. Well, uh, how do you work that? How do you work that out? Mm-hmm. Where are the lines of authority? Mm-hmm. In fact, there's a larger question that needs to be asked, and that is, what do you really give to your in-laws? And I think the Bible is very clear. Honor. Mm-hmm. The Bible says, honor your father and mother. Okay, that's what you give to your parents, to your in-laws, but you don't give authority. And you don't give loyalty. Mm-hmm. Loyalty and authority belongs in your marriage. You shouldn't be making decisions with your parents. Okay, you should be just making decisions with your spouse. Mm-hmm. Authority belongs in the new uh, unit, the new authority unit. Mm-hmm. But you should always extend honor to your parents, and that's a delicate balance of trying to honor your parents, making decisions on your own. Mm-hmm. And if those lines are not clear. You got all the in-law drama that we're seeing all over the place. Yeah, I remember my my wife and my mother rebuilding their relationship. I think it's going much better. But there was a time when we actually lived next door to my parents, and there was a, a conflict that was going on. I mean, I was having some issue, and she came over. My mother came over and said something that I thought was very derogatory, Ali, and I turned around to me and said. Never, I love you, but this is my house, and you are not allowed to come to my house and speak about the woman I love that way. Yeah, that was very uh, courageous of you to say that. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think that uh, you do need to stand up and protect, and we mm-hmm. talked about that, and you're also drawing lines in the sand. Mm-hmm. I think that's important to do. I do think it is also... A, a uh, factor that uh, you're living that close, I mean, next door, you know? We were. <laughs> and um, reminds me of that movie, Big Fat Greek Wedding, right? Uh, they got the house right next door, mm-hmm. and that's kind of funny, but it does invite problems. Mm-hmm. But I do want to say, having said that, that in the big picture, you know, I, I mean, I've already said it, you could, you could live 100 miles away, and you could still have in-law problems because you've given your heart to your your mom still has her, mm-hmm. and you're still trying to please her, even though you're 100 miles away. So I, I do want to clarify that it's not as simple as just moving far away. Yeah, I mean you could be you could be getting a getting a rocket ship and go go live on Mars, but mm-hmm. if your heart is still given to your mother, you'll still have in-law problems. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it is a factor if you do live right next door, just because uh, it's so convenient to just come on over, you know. Yeah. But, um, and there is something to be said about living far away, but even if you live hours and hours away, I mean, I've dealt with so many couples where they live hours and hours away, 
but yet they still have so many problems. So mm. it's more about understanding what God's Word says. And again, this is a problem. People don't know what the Bible says. But understanding what the Bible says concerning lines of authority, loyalty, and honor, those three major things, putting them in their places, and establishing your marriage, and then ultimately having an adult relationship with one another. Hello, this is Andy Bannister, the director of the Solar Center for Public Christianity, and I'm delighted to endorse and uh, recommend the ministry of Deeper Waters Apologetics. I've been hugely impressed watching the work that Nick has done over the years, building up the website and the podcast, the quality of the guests that he gets onto there. And I love the way that uh, the ministry challenges and encourages both Christians and those who don't have a Christian faith to really think through the claims of the gospel. I'm also impressed by just how Christ-centered and Nick is and all that he does is his desire to see people encounter Jesus Christ and the life-transforming truth of the gospel. So uh, more strength to them. It's been a privilege to know Nick over the years, and I hope Deeper Waters goes from strength to strength. And if you haven't yet discovered it, check out the website deeperwatersapologetics.com for yourself. Well, I'd like to remind everyone at this point, you're listening to the Deeper Waters podcast. Everything we do is supported by listeners, just like you. And I really encourage you to please go to our website, deeperwatersapologetics.com there's a link on the side help support the work of Deeper Waters Christian Ministries um, you click on that you get taken to the Ministry of Risen Jesus those are my in-laws actually and you make your donation you get in touch with them or you get in touch with me and my wife Allie and say hey I made my donation I want to go to Nick Peters I want to go to Deeper Waters we will get that donation and it will be worth be tax deductible entirely. You can also uh, you can also buy some ebooks I have I've written or co-written, such as a uh, <coughs> written as a creed for the ages, the apostles' creed of today's Christian. Although we have a new one coming out now, but I've written a response to Richard Dawkins's latest book. We we've got ten levitai right now. Oh, it's probably up by now. Dawkins in the dock, putting Richard Dawkins on defense. Um, you can also buy Creed for the Ages for your pastors. <coughs> Sorry, the Apostles' Creed in today's Christian. Um, you can get Christian Answers for Generations Questions, Groundless, God and Natural Disasters, and the Mentional Bars Project. That's one of our favorite ones here. And if you can't do any this, you can make a donation. You can, I'm sorry, you can leave a review of our podcast at on iTunes. I really love to see you guys. I want to know what you think about the podcast. Leave a good, positive review. Now, Pastor Tay, do you have an organization or charity you'd like to see people donate to? <laughs> I appreciate that. The Titus 2 Ministry is an official nonprofit organization. Mm-hmm. If people have a heart for um, counseling uh, individuals, and also marriages. Mm-hmm. We're running a whole bunch of uh, online communities. Some are public, some are private, where we deal with a, a lot of different challenges from depression uh, to uh, other things that people need that privacy for. And there's costs involved in running all of those things and all the people involved. So, yeah, that'd be great. Mm-hmm. People can visit Titus2Ministry.org and uh, make a donation there. Thank you. 
Now let's get Finn to the last one that you talk about, and I'm sure this is one that generally most every guy out there is going to be one to pay super attention to, and that's the topic <laughs> of sex. And yes. now one of the things that's probably difficult about being a pastoral counselor now compared to the past is sadly, I'm sure when a lot of people come to you for pre-marriage or pre-engagement counseling, more and more of them are already having sex. Yeah, sex is, uh, again, very much like in-laws in terms of the church really negligent. Mm -hmm. And I know that's a strong word, but I'll stand by it. They really not talked about it openly, made it into a taboo subject. Yep. And so that's why we have, and again, I'm not trying to put all the blame uh, on the church, but come on now. The church needs to, you know, become more brave mm -hmm. and talk about these things. And, you know, times have changed where uh, sex is now so much more open and uh, opportunities and things are just so much more possible much harder 50 years ago uh, but now with the internet chat rooms and apps you can download and the viewing of pornography that is just so easy I mean every person has a smartphone mm -hmm. I mean you'd be shocked if somebody doesn't have one right and yep. they've access to the internet I mean how hard was it 50 years ago you know to try to see anything provocative and so with all of that said, we definitely have a huge problem where, as you said, they're already having sex, but their minds are already corrupted. Mm -hmm. They already have very, uh, a very worldly view of sex. Mm -hmm. They don't even know what the Bible has to say uh, about any of these things. And so it really is a huge task. And I'm going to also include couples who have been you know pure and um, lived the godly life grew up in the church and haven't done any of the things that I've mentioned even those couples don't know what the Bible says mm -hmm. about sex yeah and so it really is just a major area um, I have a online Facebook community that is free called uh, marriage builders it's called Titus to Marriage Builders. And in there, uh, I do uh, have a lot of video workshops that are free where I cover all of these areas like communication, conflict, in-laws, sex. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. if anybody um, is interested, they can just simply ask to join for free. And uh, we're systematically going through all of these things. It is actually quite a daunting task. And I... I don't mean to be negative in any way about it. I'm just saying uh, it really is just an uphill battle because we're fighting against mm -hmm. all the temptations and the difficulties of this world. So you're right. They come in, they're already having sex. They don't even know what the Bible has to say. Mm. And so um, quite a work. A bit of work needs to be done in terms of the renewing of their minds. And also I'm going to throw in... Um, things about sin. I've mentioned some things about sin and one of the uh, functions of sin is, is deceptive. Um, the Bible talks about the delusional nature of sin. And so when you talk about sexual sins, pornography, these things, 
And by the time they come in for counseling, and uh, by the way, I have an online community called Titus 2 Overcoming Porn. It's a closed private community for men who are struggling with pornography. One of the things that, uh, you know, I mean, their minds are so messed up. I mean, they can look at a woman that is not even being provocative, not even trying to be sexy, but yet they're turned on and, you know, all, all she could do is just smile and they're already like, you know, activated, so to speak. Mm. And so it's such a big problem because they're, they've given over their minds and hearts uh, to the wrong ways of sex and pornography and all of these things. So they come in, as you said, they're already having sex, but the mindset is the serious problem. Their minds and hearts are so messed up that you got to systematically go through all of that deception you know, really help them to renew their minds, according to Romans 12, 2 Corinthians 10, 5, Ephesians 4. So many places that talk about, you know, just processing and having a biblical worldview and, and, and really looking at women not as objects of pleasure, but honoring them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, single men need to learn to honor their, honor the women as sisters in Christ. Uh, men who are married need to look at their wives uh, in the right way, where they're satisfied with their wives. Um, but yet, what has the world done? It has turned every woman to an object of pleasure, and now your eyes are wandering everywhere and finding satisfaction everywhere. It's like an open field. And so, it really is quite daunting. And to be honest, so much work has to be done uh, in this area. We're not talking about a couple counseling sessions. And that's why I created that online community, Titus 2 Overcoming Porn, because, you know, the guys that are in there, they recognize that this is going to be just a long battle where the minds have to be renewed. They have to become stronger inwardly. They have to turn their hearts back towards their wives. They have to understand the biblical design for sex and then um, understand accountability which so many men and women, uh, women too, struggle with this, uh, don't have that accountability. But then most of all, and this is very important in the scriptures, is you got to become a mentor. And so I want to say that in this area, uh, and really all the areas that we've talked about, it's not as simple as, okay, this is all about your self-improvement. But that's not how the Bible presents your life. Your life has a greater purpose. In fact, I'm right on that right now, called Pursuing Your Greater Purpose, so that you can see that your life is far more than your own personal Mm self-improvement. And so when it comes to sex, they have to get to that highest level where they actually uh, are convicted to give back to the next generation and say, man, I've gone through so much. I've learned so much in these areas of sex, and I need to give back. I need to help the next generation of men and women. The whole Titus 2 thing. Titus chapter 2, verses 1 through 6, you know, all teaching the younger and, and to give back. So it's really a very large, uh, challenging agenda of taking a man whose minds are so messed up, taking a woman whose minds are so messed up, rewiring, renewing their minds, teaching them what the Bible says about sex, and then turning them into mentors where they're giving back to the next generation. Okay, now as a Christian apologist, I already have this kind of answer 
to this kind of question, but I'm going to throw out there and see what you're saying as a counselor. So a couple comes to you and they're already having sex. I mean, what's the big deal? Because, you know, they're going to get married, they're going to be having sex anyway, so they start a little bit early. What's the harm? Well, sex belongs in marriage. Mm -hmm. That's how God has designed it to be. So yep. deadly wrong, you know. And so, um, again, in the light of so many things that can go wrong, even in the dating, the engagement period, and so forth, the whole argument, I mean, is unacceptable. Mm -hmm. You know, you have to protect the marital bed, so to speak. And uh, the sanctity and the holiness of it. And mm -hmm. um, people who engage in things that are to be kept within the holiness of marriage is just flat out wrong. Mm -hmm. And uh, it is a sin ag against God. It's, it's what Joseph said, you know, when uh, he was confronted with Potiphar's wife. You know, how can I do this and sin against God? And so sin isn't just a personal defeat or oh shucks i i made a mistake i think that's another problem that a lot of people have is they view sin or failures in sex or whatever liberties they extend as just some sort of personal thing like oh i shouldn't do that but i like it or what's wrong with it or whatever but it's a sin against god mm -hmm. and people fail to understand the relationship that you have with god and then it becomes an unconfessed sin before God, and that's a big deal in and of itself. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, a big part of this agenda is putting sex back to where it is. And again, the online community, that's one of the things that we do is we're trying very hard to put sex where it belongs. Mm -hmm. you know, we, we've lost our sense of boundaries, you know. In every, in every sense of the word, we've lost boundaries. And we have to set up the holy boundaries again and put it where it is supposed to be. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I think if there's any area that men wish women were more like them and vice versa, it could very well be sex. Because, you know, as a guy, I think for sex, geez, I feel connected to my wife. It's a lot of fun. So many, so many details going on there. Why doesn't it happen more often? And, I mean, guys looking at this, like, free fun, free connection. Women don't really view it the same way, do they? Well, uh, that's a very complicated uh, commentary there, Nick. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. There's some general truths there. Yeah. It opens yeah. up again. Uh, another huge can of worms because there's so many factors and so many issues it's very, very difficult to just stay general, mm -hmm. but to factor in all of those issues. I talked about life chapter changes, even, where, you know, you know, women go through so many physical changes mm -hmm. in their bodies, hormonal changes. Well, having children greatly impacts their bodies. Um, I'm going to say you're generally right that there are differences between men and women and their desires uh, and so forth. That definitely needs to factor mm. in as well. Uh, men and women are married for 30, 40 years and how much their body changes uh, with menopause and so many things. Things get 
have to get factored in. So it's really not as simple as you get married and have a, a wonderful sex life, live happily ever after having sex every day. And, you know, I know men want that, but a, a lot of times women, and this is just a generality, and it can certainly be reversed. I've counseled couples mm -hmm. where the woman was more interested in sex and the man was not. So again, we're just speaking in generalities, but even like communication, it can be reversed. Mm -hmm. But generally speaking, you're right, Nick. These are, I think, the differing mindsets and differing expectations. And there's a phrase that uh, I haven't used yet, and that is unmet expectations. Mm -hmm. You know, we come into sex, especially with all kinds of expectations, mm -hmm. and those expectations are not met. Mm -hmm. And that becomes a huge area of conflict and disappointment. And even men after years will then give up and say, mm -hmm. forget it. Mm -hmm. You know, and then there's this attitude that uh, uh, sex is just not going to happen. There's all kinds of sarcasm and attitudes out there. You see it in movies making fun of marriage and how sex is a, if you're going to get sex, it's got to happen outside of marriage, you know, or they make fun of marriage saying, you know, I'm never going to get sex in the marriage or, you know. Um, or there's that phrase, getting lucky, as mm -hmm. if the only way you can get sex is by some random act of luck, you know, some experience of luck. It's, otherwise, it's never going to happen. You know, there's so many things that are factored in. Related to this are some of the general things that you've mentioned, which uh, you're right in mentioning that there are differences between men and women, huge gender differences. Again, it's a generality. It can be reversed, but men tend to approach it more physically. And so they have a lot of physical needs and desires for satisfaction. Mm -hmm. And uh, women approach it more relationally and uh, approach it as emotional and spiritual connections. And mm -hmm. for them, it comes out in different expressions of cuddling and foreplay and, and uh, wanting to hug and to hold and lay together in bed and Mm -hmm. Men are more about the quick experience of physical satisfaction. But even satisfaction unto itself is a very complicated concept. You know, mm -hmm. couples wrestle with that because the whole idea of even mutual satisfaction where they enter into the sexual experience and one side might be satisfied, the other side might not be satisfied. Mm -hmm. One side might be quickly satisfied, the other side may take forever to be satisfied. I mean, it's a very, the whole satisfaction principle is very complicated. I mean, how do you resolve mm -hmm. that? Those yeah. are big practical problems uh, that come up. I think men are frustrated also because women are just simply not in the mood. Yeah. Whereas yep. men are always in the mood. Mm -hmm. And so these are things that, again, maybe it's not a big problem when they first get married and yep. they don't have kids. And the first couple years, it's just so exciting because sex is spontaneous you know because you don't have to worry about you know kids being awake or you know your junior high daughters in the next room and she can hear everything you know you don't have to worry about any of those things so you you, you experience more spontaneity and people especially guys they have a nostalgic attitude towards spontaneity saying man what happened we used to have sex all the time and so they long for that in a nostalgic way as if uh, spontaneity is like the highest expression of sex. But the truth is that spontaneity will be challenged after several years. I mean, how soon did you have a child? 
you know, once you have a child, all spontaneity goes out the window. Right? You can't you can't even go out to eat spontaneously. You used to do that when you were dating. Now you got to pack the diaper bag and everything. It takes you 30 minutes just to go out the door. Mm-hmm. So spontaneity is something I think men are longing for. And after a few years, it becomes very difficult to do. And so I'm going to say that there really are two major ways to have sex. And again, this is just a, a real simplification. There's so many other things that we can talk about within the time that we have. And that is that uh, spontaneity is something that is of value because mm-hmm. when you spontaneously have sex, like men want it, and there are women that want to as well, that spontaneity highlights uh, uh, things like uh, romance. It highlights things like uh, joy and satisfaction because you're suddenly in the mood and there's a heightened sense of euphoria and adrenaline and it's all good and Mm. men love that and and I don't want to say anything bad about that, you know, but I want to say that that's just one way to have sex. Mm. The other way is called scheduling and scheduling is very important because scheduling is what you do when you deem something to be important. I mean, you put things in your schedule because Mm -hmm. it's important. Meetings, commitments, and things like that. Did you want to jump in there, Nick? No, no, I I, I quite agree with it. Yes, and so people uh, might initially balk at that by saying, well, that's not very romantic, that's not spontaneous. Mm -hmm. But again, that's because there's an overemphasis on spontaneity. We want to say that scheduling is very important because you are protecting. You see, scheduling protects. And so think about how busy everybody's life is with work and church and, you know, ministry obligations mm-hmm. and so many other things in the Christian life. But if you schedule times to be together, that is a very biblical thing to do because you're protecting what is of great value to you. Now, Mm -mm. scheduling actually really works in the favor of those who are not um, always in the mood. Now, -hmm. spontaneity works in the favor of those who are always in the mood, like guys. Yeah. But scheduling works in the favor of people who are not always in the mood. Generally speaking, that's women. And again, not a criticism of women at all, you know. Uh, Women are just uh, built differently. Mm -hmm. Again, generality, there are a lot of women that (coughs) love sex. But if they view it as relationship, and let's say you scheduled it, okay? And again, scheduling is flexible. How many times you schedule, that's something we can talk about. But let's say you schedule it, and now the person who is not always in the mood has time to get ready. Mm-hmm. Ready physically, emotionally, spiritually. And now, uh, as you are getting ready for it and, and and scheduling works in so many other areas of relationship going out to eat having meetings whatever uh you you prepare for that time and so that can be a satisfying experience although we do need to talk about satisfaction if you want mm-hmm. but you know scheduling mm-hmm. is the other way so i'm going to say the two main ways are spontaneity and scheduling as a way of ensuring that it becomes a regular consistent experience in your marriage yep. and uh, I think I did say protecting there so yeah. 
the the point is that you know life gets busy, right? You you get married, you have kids, jobs, you're busy with so many things that uh, sex becomes what leftover time, mm-hmm. and uh, that's when whenever you put anything in the leftover category, well, what is that? That's the time what two o'clock in the morning. You're super tired. Or, you're you don't have energy. You're, you're not invested in it. Anything you put in the leftover category tends to decline or does not contribute to the health of your marriage. And so, spontaneity and scheduling are ways that you can keep it as a priority. And to be honest, I've already said sex belongs in marriage. Well, that's the one special thing that only the two of you are supposed to enjoy. How special mm-hmm. is that? Mm-hmm. How important is that? And how much you need to protect it? And especially in the light of all the the liberal views of sex and how it's done outside of marriage, I think there needs to be so much more energy put into it. And we said about an hour ago, that one of the problems is people don't try anymore, you know? But mm-hmm. part of the trying and the investment of time and energy has to be put into sex because yeah. uh, that is one way Uh, Or I would say a major way that God has um, designed it to bring unity uh, to the marriage. And so not doing it is actually a very big problem. Yeah, I have a habit that when I encounter men married, especially on the internet, I have my own men's group. That's Christ Love the Church. And... uh, then I'm counting guys who are ready to take the step of marriage. I often come and talk with them before and say, hey, if you need someone to talk about sex, you got want to know what to do, things like that, we got to talk to you because I know you don't really want to go to your dad always. You definitely don't want to go to your future father and all and ask those kinds of questions. And something I often tell them is, okay, I want you to think back to what you see about sex in movies, TV shows, things like that. Okay? You got it on mine? Good. Forget all of it. It's all a bunch of nonsense. Because mm-hmm. anyone who tells you that things just seem to work out magically like they do in TV shows and movies, they don't know what they're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we're, we're fighting against all of that. You mm-hmm. know? It's just sending out the wrong message. So many wrong messages mm-hmm. and so and, and again how many of those hollywood scenes are even amongst married couples yeah it's usually like first encounters or mm-hmm. everything outside of marriage and it usually also distorts the whole concept of satisfaction because you know those are such perfectly choreographed scenes right where mm-hmm. both of them are having such a great time and it's just so perfect and everybody's satisfied and it's just not it's just not like that no, it's so, not. No one, no one like gets poked in the eye or makes a bodily noise or anything like that. Everything just works out perfectly. And I think it misses a fundamental point, and that is, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Mm-hmm. And so we often see sex in the Hollywood terms or something you get. You know, you get that because you like that person. You're attracted to that person. So it becomes a selfish move. But. Mm-hmm. Um, The biblical concept of sex is all about giving to the Mm. other person, showing love. So there's just a lot of things, whether you are recognizing that that's going on consciously or unconsciously. It really is a very serious problem if that's where you're getting your information. Mm -hmm. I think there's also this misnomer a lot of 
women have about sex. And this whole thing they have being in the mood for things. And that's what makes it proper. And that guys just want to get, get it done with and then they're happy. But guys... I mean, a guy will settle for what's called duty sex to some extent, but it's also bad for him because he thinks that you're just doing this just because you want to satisfy me. I'm not bringing you any joy in this. And it's really depirating because a man doesn't just want to have sex. He wants wants his wife to want to have it with him. Yeah, those are all good points. Um... Uh, let's keep those points general mm-hmm. uh, because I think you're generally mm-hmm. right. Um, mm-hmm. I, I don't think it dismisses the validity of, you know, moments where one side might be in the mood, mm-hmm. the other side might not be in the mood. Uh, we don't want to s- talk as though that's always the case. If that happens, you know, I'm okay with that, you know, because mm-hmm. there is no biblical pressure that both sides have to always be in the mood and be satisfied at exactly the same time. If, and so if yeah, there it, are situations like that, it's okay. Uh, it, and not overreact to that. But I understand what you're saying. Yeah, it's been said that uh, most men wouldn't appreciate it if their husbands act as a similar way of having a says, Well, honey, sure, we'll uh, go out to eat, you know, if uh, if I'm in the mood to go out to eat. Or I'll uh, buy you flowers if I just feel like doing it. But too many times it seems like that's the way sex is all. You know, if you're not feeling it, then it's not genuine. Yeah, and again, that's, I think, a fundamental misunderstanding in Christianity that the only way you can be genuine and sincere is if your mood or your emotions are attached to it. Mm-hmm. Um, even with forgiveness, we talked about, you got to be in the yep. mood for it. You, yep. you got to have some emotional, you know, sincerity to it. And that's just not the right way to look at it. Mm-hmm. You do it because it's important. And I know mm-hmm. there might be people who might think of that in an extreme way that um, we're a bunch of robots and machines and we do things. You know, without any emotions, and that's not my—that's not what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Just saying that in situations where you're not in the mood, but yet you still do it. I mean, good for you. Mm-hmm. Um, if you forgive, but you're not in the mood to forgive, good for you. Mm-hmm. If you go to work and you're not in the mood to go to work, I mean, good for you. It shows that you're committed. Mm-hmm. You know. And if you satisfy your spouse, even though you yourself may be not in the mood, then good for you. So I think it's a general understanding about the Christian life that we are supposed to do things uh, simply because it is the right thing to do. And again, don't overreact to that. I don't want your listeners to overreact and say, are we a bunch of machines? No, we're not. Mm -hmm. I'm going to say if you are in the mood and your heart is there, and that's a complicated thing because sometimes when you engage in acts, then you are then suddenly in the mood. You may not have been yeah. uh, prior to you deciding to do that, but then later you might suddenly get into it, and that's that's good too. Mm-hmm. That's a bonus. Yeah. And so, I mean, it's like you don't want to go to work, but you go to work, and then suddenly you're all into the work, and that's that's nice, and that's a bonus to have your mood or your emotions uh, into it. So 
I hope none of your listeners overreact and say that I'm trying to promote some sort of robotic approach to the Christian life. But it really is about doing the right thing. And then the emotions, you know, Lord willing, will align. Yeah. Uh, if they don't always align, that's okay. It's not like every situation's going to be like that. And I think here is where uh, scheduling also helps because it gives you time to prepare yourself too. Mm-hmm. If all you do is spontaneous acts, statistically, there are going to be times when you're not in the mood. Mm-hmm. And so, again, I think it's a balance of spontaneity and scheduling and working towards and really working towards, or, or I've heard somebody say, playing the long game. I mean, you're mm-hmm. going to be married for a very long time. Play the long game and mm-hmm. uh, continue to work on that part of your marriage. So what are some general tips, Vin, you'd give for sex in the long run in general for couples? Well, I think it starts with communication. I think lots of misunderstandings, lots of uh, frustrations, lots of um, unmet expectations. It's an awkward topic. Mm. I think once it's out, it becomes a little easier to talk about. I do think that communication should happen on many levels, uh, such as biblical principles, uh, preferences, uh, issues of satisfaction, what you like, what you don't like, problems of satisfaction. These are all things that you got to talk about if you go through a whole period where, you know, there's no conversation, no communication about it, and, you know, it just becomes a quick experience. Well, there really isn't any growth and, and understanding. Um, well, as a counselor, you know, one of the things uh, I do to help them is I give them a bunch of videos that I've done. There's audios I've done. Well, people inside the free community called Marriage Builders have access to a lot of free videos on sex. And that becomes something that um, it makes it easy to have a conversation. What I mean is they'll watch it together and then it makes it easy for them to react to the video. Because uh, mm-hmm. a lot of times when I say, well, talk about it, they don't even know what to say. They don't even know mm-hmm. where to begin. Mm-hmm. Uh, they haven't developed uh, biblical principles that should become parameters for their conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I think uh, watching videos, audios, reading books together, communication, that communication doesn't always have to be in the bedroom. It can be over dinner at a nice restaurant. But the point is, I mean, even scheduling, what does that assume? It assumes that you're communicating about a schedule. You're taking out your smartphone, you look at your schedule, all that involves communication. Um, you you kind of break the awkward barrier by talking about what you like and don't like. Uh, people have asked questions about satisfaction, like I'm not satisfied or, or he's satisfied too early and I'm still not satisfied. Mm. All of these things have to be talked through. So I'm going to say communication uh, is the first step. I'm going to say then learning what God's Word said is a huge part uh, of the process because people just simply don't know what the Bible says about all of these things. And if you don't know, you can't make proper decisions. You know, everything flows from what you know. Um, 
What's in your heart? Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, 45, that uh, the good things are, are, are the overflow of your heart. That's what comes out. Well, if your heart is not filled with God's word and you don't understand things such as duty, as it is explained in um, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, the marital duty concerning sex, uh, or you don't understand what it says in that same chapter about frequency, about satisfaction, uh, about uh, sexual temptations, how that's one of the functions is that it will help you fight the temptations because you're satisfied, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, so things like that, I think communication, learning, um, I, I, scheduling, um, making time to get away, which I think mm-hmm. is very important because um, I don't think it should be assumed that it should always happen in the house. And, um, you know, I'm saying that because there's just too many things going on in the house. If mm-hmm. you've been married 10, 20 years, I mean, your kids are staying up all night long doing their science projects. They're not going to bed till like midnight. And mm-hmm. uh, when are you going to have sex? So I think we have to think outside the box and, and um, you know, create and scheduling to, to get away and then to, to be together. So I think those are some basic things, but uh, make no mistake that God's word is the foundation for our lives. And so it's all about the authority and the sufficiency of scripture that you want to start there and make sure you understand what God's word says about it. And uh, if you don't know, you gotta, you gotta, you know, learn it. Mm-hmm. However you learn it through books and videos or you, you get into counseling or you get into small groups or you have a mentor in your life and and you begin to work through the issues. And for a lot of men, this there's also the extra component of uh, sexual temptations, pornography, and uh, watching it all the time. And, um, you know, one of the things that always uh, makes me think is, you know, these people that, you know, they look so proper and, you know, whatever you think, they never have a problem, but they're struggling with some of the most uh, serious forms of sexual deviance and so forth. And these uh, problems cross all all lines, you know, and uh, even the youngest child all the way to the oldest grandfather is struggling with these things. And so it's a battle of the mind to correct all of these things and then to, you know, uh, not look at another woman in that way. And how hard is that, you know? Yep. So and to be, the Bible says to be set with your wife's breasts. Mm-hmm. But are you looking at other women's breasts? Mm-hmm. And so all of those things, it's, it's very, very difficult, but I'm going to use a word I haven't used, and that is vigilance. And um, it's related to several comments I've made about trying harder. You know, people give up on their marriages and stop trying. You know, you broke your marital vow to love and to honor and to cherish. And, you know, and now you've given in to other conveniences and you no longer look at your wife in the way that you did when you first got married. And all of those things have to be revived. Um, and so uh, there really isn't like a magical formula when you ask, well, what can we do? Like you, uh, what, plug and play? Just plug this in and everything will be fine. Every couple is different. 
every couple deals with physical uh, challenges and physical changes to their life. Uh, some couples go through sicknesses. This is very real. You know, pregnancies cause all kinds of permanent changes and sicknesses, and maybe they couldn't have had sex for maybe a year mm -hmm. or more. Mm -hmm. You know, and so with all of these things that factor in, every couple's got to be vigilant and working on scheduling, understanding God's word, working through conflicts. Uh, I got a set of audios that deal with conflicts. I mean, there could have been past trauma that has to be worked through. Maybe your spouse has been sexually abused and they're mm -hmm. still dealing with past pains and anxieties and um, recurring painful memories. Um, so, I mean, it, there's just so many things that, mm -hmm. that can be talked about here. And it truly is the major categories uh, in terms of building a marriage is to go through all of these sexual conflicts, sexual temptations, marital duties, issues of satisfaction, scheduling versus spontaneity, so many things. But it's no different than any of the other categories we looked at. In-laws is very complicated. Conflict resolution is super complicated. Communication, it's not just speaking in words, that's complicated too. And so all of those things are, 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 are big categories and hopefully your listeners have been inspired to uh, work through the categories on their own and if they need help, you know, that's, you know, that's a good thing because God has created a, a design where we help one another, mentor mm -hmm. one another. And counseling is a proper option. Uh, mentoring, big brothers, small groups, these are all proper options of accountability and uh, fellowship as uh, we help each other get to the next level in our lives and in our marriages. Mm -hmm. Pastor Dave, uh, run out of time here. Uh, I'd like to thank you for coming on. Do you have a blog, an email, a website, a way for people to get in touch if they want to find out more about you? Uh, okay. Um, I've got all of that. Um, I think uh, all they have to do is just remember my name, Pastor Tay, mm -hmm. and put a .com after that. So, PastorTay.com. T-A-E, for our wondering. Yes, T-A-E, and uh, PastorTay.com. You go there, and um, everything uh, you want from resources to blogs to if you want counseling, uh, there's my, my emails on there, my cell phone numbers on there. They can text me if they want. Um, so, you know what, just remember my name, that's the simplest way, PastorTay.com, and then from there you can get connected to all the other things that I talked about, whether it's Facebook online communities to other accountability groups, mm -hmm. it's all there, just remember my name, PastorTay.com. Thank you for asking. Do you have any final words you'd like to leave for Deeper Waters audience? I'm just uh, grateful for the opportunity. Obviously, this is such an important area for so many oh, yes. Christians. Mm -hmm. And so I just want to thank you for inviting me. Uh, we had actually a very uh, <laughs> thorough conversation here, but even this is just the tip of the iceberg as mm -hmm. uh, so many topics need uh, just a lot of attention. So I just want to encourage and challenge your uh, listeners to just go beyond surface and go really deep into leading causes, root causes, and begin to systematically work through all the issues uh, in those areas of spousal, roles, communication conflict, in-laws, and sex. If you guys remember those five, that'll structure and give direction uh, to uh, the things you need to work on. 
you know, Pastor Jay, I'd like to thank you for coming on and hope you'll see you back here again sometime. That'll be great. Thank you for inviting me. I'd like to remind everyone, next week I'm still working on that. But for now, I'm Nick Peters, I'm signing off, and I affirm the virgin birth. <laughs> <laughs>